Hello, and welcome to episode 68 of Silver Screeners. Of course, thanks, as always, for hitting that little triangle that points to the right to play or download this labor of love. At the time of this recording, we are 24 hours away from Halloween, so I am properly pumped to toss those treats out the door at those adorable little ghosts, goblins, ghouls, and cabbage patch dolls, all roaming the streets trying to give us all a traditional All Hallows' Eve fright. But what really frightens me right now is that I still haven't decided which costume to wear tomorrow morning. From my October 31 bag o' previous costumes, I could be either a burglar and convict, complete with striped shirt and hat and plastic chain for my ankle, or a vampire, complete with extended fingers and a long flowing cape that's black on the outside and red on the inside. But if I keep waffling on this, then I suppose I could add a little sauce to the proceedings and just wrap my head in cotton and go as a Q-tip. Though, come to think of it, that might be friggin' lit. For this episode, I'm cheating a little bit and turning towards television instead of a feature film. We're going to take a long, loving look at the television special It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, which first aired on October 27, 1966, and has been perpetuated in reruns, DVD releases, and streaming services in all of the decades since. It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown is one of those fall favorites of mine that gives a tug at the old hat strings just by the mentioning of the title alone. Like God knows how many others, I grew up with this as a staple in my house, at least once I managed to record it on the VCR in the mid-80s. Brought to us by Peanuts creator Charles Schulz, director and animator Bill Melendez, and producer Lee Mendelssohn. It really can't be explored without first looking at its immediate predecessor, which is 1965's A Charlie Brown Christmas. The whole television saga began when Lee Mendelssohn, who was a television documentary filmmaker, he had made a 1962 TV documentary called The Innocent Fair, which looks at the Panama Pacific International Exposition of 1915, which was held in San Francisco, and a 1963 TV documentary on baseball legend Willie Mays, simply called A Man Named Mays. His third was a TV documentary called A Boy Named Charlie Brown, which looked at Charles Schulz and the Peanuts comic strip. Not long after that one, television sponsors asked Mendelssohn to team up with Schulz for a TV Christmas special with all the Peanuts gang. And so, A Charlie Brown Christmas premiered on December 9, 1965. It was an instant success with roughly half of all households in the U.S. tuning in. This left Schulz and Mendelssohn turning to each other and saying, Yippee! But wait, not all was peaches and cream quite yet. Unbelievably, the network was not quite ready to credit them as network ninjas right away. CB executives had watched the Christmas special prior to its airing and felt that it was not a surefire way of launching a lucrative TV deal. There were issues, including a gospel-spouting Linus that made them quiver as they gazed nervously at their studio coffers, and they told Mendelssohn Schulz and animated director Bill Melendez that this Christmas special would be the first and last one they'd pick up. Of course, once the ratings were huge and the sponsors were happy, they sang a different tune thusly. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. In other words, they asked for more. So the team churned out a baseball-themed TV special called Charlie Brown All-Stars, but CBS was still not satisfied. They wanted a TV special that they could run every year, like the Christmas special. And they went so far as to say, Okay, we have Christmas and baseball. Give us another holiday-themed one, or we will not continue with this collaboration. So a disgruntled Peanuts team heaved a sigh of exasperation and proclaimed, Say what? So with the network roasting their peanuts on an open fire, they knew they had to deliver. Voila, the Great Pumpkin was born. 
So unless you've been making your home at the bottom of the sea, chances are you've at least heard of the Great Pumpkin. Poor little Linus, Lucy's younger brother and Charlie Brown's friend, confuses the concept of Santa with this idea of a giant orange squash that flies through the air, lands in the most sincere pumpkin patch that it ever did enjoy, and delivers presents to all of the good little boys and girls shuffling around on God's green earth. Everyone, especially Lucy, think he is a grade-A basket case, and they don't really mince words saying as much either. Linus's Great Pumpkin storyline had already debuted in the comic strip, and there are a couple of different stories as to what inspired it. One is simply that Shulls thought that it would be endearingly humorous if a child were to confuse Santa Claus with a pumpkin on Halloween night, nothing more. But according to MentalFloss.com, Shulls, quote, conceived it as a metaphor for some of the hope and disappointment associated with St. Nick. Shulls disliked the idea, kids heard, of a jolly fat man who delivered presents all over the world when he knew many families could only afford one or two gifts for the holidays. The Great Pumpkin is really kind of a satire on Santa Claus, he told Mendelssohn. When he doesn't come, Linus is crushed. End quote. As our story begins, we hear the familiar jazzy theme tune kick in as Linus and Lucy walk out of their house, Linus with his blanket in tow, and across their lawn. There's an orange Ritz cracker in the sky, actually about three inches off the ground, depicting what I think is supposed to be the setting autumn sun. Apples are literally strewn all over the ground, and Linus picks one up, smiles, and continues on his way, walking in beat to the music. This kid's got moves. I think he's even chewing to the beat. But he takes one bite, which is about half the apple, and happens upon a conveniently located trash barrel. Okay, the way he tosses it into the can is about as badass as you can get. He's holding it in his left hand, he whirls and assertively faces the barrel, bends his elbow so that his arm is in an L-shaped position, like he's using hand signals to turn right, jolts his arm downward, and then yeets the thing which lands at the bottom of the barrel with a resounding thud, smooth and coordinated as a rocket kick line. Brother and sister keep walking, they turn a corner, he kicks up a small pile of leaves with another smile on his face, this is a kid who knows how to live his best life, and they enter the pumpkin patch. Lucy closes her eyes, raises her eyebrows, and points to the ground like the pretentious bitch she is as Linus picks up several pumpkins to see what suits her fancy. After rejecting two perfectly fine ones, she finally bursts into a smile like she's just won the Nobel Prize as he holds up a big-ass one that he can barely manage to balance. She pats it like she's expecting a genie to come out of it or something, and they begin to make their way back to the house. She walks through an opening in a wooden fence, and as he follows her, he crashes into it. Alas, the pumpkin does not fit. But fear not, this resourceful kid knows exactly what he's doing. You hear this rolling sound like a bowling ball and see him emerge from the far side of the fence with that smile still plastered on his cherubic face. He rolls it down the sidewalk, but of course puts a little too much oomph into it, and it wildly spins out of control, taking him along for the ride. Boy and pumpkin somersault together the rest of the way to the house and crash into the bottom step leading up to the door. Now the pumpkin didn't smash, as anyone's guess. The kid's lying on his stomach, and we know that he hit his head, because we can see the animated wavy lines swirling above his head. Instead of helping him out, though, what does Lucy do? She scowls at him and puts her hands on her hips. Once he awkwardly carries the pumpkin into the house, she's putting newspapers out on the floor, and he drops it on top of them with a crash that literally shakes the whole house. He lets out a sigh of relief, regains his composure, and then sees a most disturbing sight. Lucy approaches him with a really big, really sharp kitchen knife clutched firmly in her pompous little hands. 
Just when you think she's about to go Michael Myers all over his sorry ass, she thrusts the knife with a violent stroke right into the vegetable, with a sadistic grin on her face with both of her eyebrows together making that V-shape that you see in cartoons when someone looks angry or filled with sociopathic glee. It's like, whoa, cupcake, what'd that pumpkin ever do to you? She lifts the freshly cut top off, reaches in, grabs a hottie helping of pumpkin innards, and splats it down onto the newspaper. Linus looks properly horrified as he wails out, You didn't tell me you were gonna kill it! Wah! So even he knows that Lucy's got the Michael Myers thing going, as she just looks at him innocently, as if to say, You okay, bruv? Then the opening credits begin. And in the interest of time, hopefully you don't mind, but... I got some burning questions here that never got answered in all of my time so far on this planet, no matter how many times as a kid I've watched this, but maybe you can help. Question 1. Why is this the most violent cartoon in the Charlie Brown canon? Not only does Lucy murk the shit out of that pumpkin with gleeful abandon, but the next scene, when an apparently emotionally recovering Linus is enjoying a lollipop while Charlie Brown is raking the leaves, and Linus then impulsively decides to jump into the pile, both Charlie Brown and Snoopy first roll their eyes and sink and then glare menacingly at him, with Charlie shaking both his fists in Linus's leaf-splatted face. And then a second and a half later, Lucy comes along and tricks Charlie Brown for the 97th time by pulling away the football and watching him land flat on his back. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Question number two. Are we supposed to be part of the cast? More than once, a character will look straight into the camera and emote. When Charlie Brown first refuses to come running and kick that football, Lucy looks straight at us with a fake look of confusion on her face. When Charlie Brown is all excited to get what he thinks is an invitation to a Halloween party and does this little dance of joy, she again looks straight at us with a look of, what the fuck? Are we supposed to nod in agreement with her? I want no part of this, Luce, so get bent. Question number three. When Linus is writing his letter to the Great Pumpkin inside the house, first Charlie Brown comes up to him and tells him he's crazy. Then Snoopy comes along and giggles and then guffaws in his face. Snoopy laughs and points as he falls all over Lucy, who's sitting there watching TV. Then Lucy goes up to Linus, physically manhandles him, again, violence, and threatens to pound him if he doesn't knock it off. Then along comes Patty, not to be confused with Peppermint Patty, who says that he's wasting his time, the Great Pumpkin is a fake. Then, lastly, along comes little Sally, who immediately proceeds to put the Mac on Linus, folding her hands, looking up at the ceiling with a closed-mouthed smile of passion. So that's three kids, four if you count Lucy, who, one by one, walk up to Linus in astonishment and horror. Was there a party going on in that house? If not, why were they all there? If so, why was Lucy watching TV all by herself? Is she that much of an asocial baboon? Question number four. Do these kids ever change their clothes? Do they not have a washing machine? They must stink up the whole neighborhood. Must be why there are no adults around, like, ever. Question number five. So, for their Halloween costumes, Violet is a ghost. Sally is a ghost. An unidentified peanut with a Davy Crockett cap in his head is a ghost. Pigpen is a ghost. And Charlie Brown is a ghost. How many friggin' ghosts does one group of peanuts need? Seems the animators could have varied it a little, but a goblin might have been nice. Or a skeleton. You can make so many things. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Well, I could make cap, or a brooch, or pterodactyl. Um. Question number six. Speaking of ghost costumes, the gag is that Charlie Brown has 4,000 holes in his white sheet. His excuse is that he had a little trouble with the scissors. Okay, I don't know what you were doing with those scissors, kid, but that must have been one demented pair of them. Question number seven. Do the Browns know that their beagle somehow made it to a costume store in these pre-Amazon times to get a World War I flying ace helmet and goggles, a scarf and a baton? 
If they do know, why don't they cash in on it and parade him around like the exhibit that he would be? And if they don't know, why? Question number nine. And who the hell paid for Snoopy's getup? Did he save his check from his job slinging pizzas at the local Papaginos? Question number ten. Sally. Oh, Sally. She flirts. She gushes. She literally runs to Linus and slides to a stop at his feet. He talks about the great pumpkin and nothing else. Then she physically threatens him because that's the way they do things around here. She says, if you try to hold my hand, I'll slug you with a shake of the fist in his pumpkin-loving face. Sally, you let him know what's what, that's fine. But you might want to tone down the aggressive forwardness if you don't want him responding to your blowing bells and whistles at him. As for fun facts, try these on for size. Number one. Composer Vince Guaraldi worked on the instantly familiar theme music. When he was writing The Great Pumpkin Waltz for this TV special, he walked away for a bit to take a shower. When he stepped out, he heard noises outside and went, naked, to investigate. And wouldn't you know, he locked himself out of the house without a key. I mean, where would he have put it? He tried climbing a ladder to the second floor window when cops spotted him, and he apparently yelled out, Don't shoot! I'm the Great Pumpkin! They let him back inside. Number two. Four-year-old Kathy Steinberg provides the voice of Sally in both The Charlie Brown Christmas and This Little Slice of Life. Lee Mendelson was her neighbor, which is how she landed the gig. During recording, she was about to lose a tooth. Panicked that a lisp would ruin what they had recorded of her so far, they whisked her into the studio one evening to record all of her lines at once. The tooth fell out the next day. Number three. The adults in the Peanuts world are undoubtedly the most despicable and vile humans on the planet for tossing rocks into poor Charlie Brown's sack. Viewers were so angry and so horrified that Charles Schultz's California office was inundated with deliveries of candy addressed to his cartoon counterpart for years. Number four. Some scholars apparently thought that the myth of the Great Pumpkin was real and not made up for Linus. In 1968, two years after the show's premiere, Schultz spoke with the Schenectady Gazette and said, quote, A number of professional scholars have written me about the origination of the legend. They insist it must be based on something. End quote. He told them to consult Linus. And number five. The image of Snoopy as the World War I flying ace became a good luck charm for the NASA astronauts during the Apollo space missions. The Apollo 10 crew even nicknamed their lunar module Snoopy and their command module Charlie Brown. Alright, before we wrap up, let's jump right into the poll results and listener trivia segment. The question for this episode, number 68, asked you which you'd rather have to do, sit all night in the pumpkin patch, needlessly waiting for the great pumpkin, or get a bag full of rocks from cruel grown-ups who apparently keep a stash of them by the door. And for what I believe is the first time in Silver Screener's polling history, it was a 100% clean sweep across all of the socials. Everyone who voted on the Facebook group Silver Screeners, on Twitter, and on Instagram, chose the freezing pumpkin patch. And there were some great comments along the way. Kim M. said, I'll sit with Linus, while Mary C. is also for the great pumpkin. Gail I. said, the pumpkin patch, but with warmer clothes than Linus had. True that, Gail. Ed I. said, a chance to meet the great pumpkin, I've been waiting years for that. And Timmy I. said, great pumpkin all the way, while also providing a screenshot of a post by American drummer Matt Schultz, a bucket of Halloween candy for trick-or-treaters with a potato resting in the middle of the loot. The caption reads, Tonight kids chose potato more than 25 times, 
each time triumphantly proclaiming to friends and family, I got a potato! One kid shouted, A potato, just like last year! And another group said, Oh, you're the potato house? You're legends! Timmy, you're the legend for sending this. And thanks to all of you. These polls are just silly fun, all geared towards generating interest in each upcoming episode, so thank you for taking part in it. And don't forget to keep your eyes open on my socials for the next poll. Just check out the Silver Screeners group on Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter at FilmBuff1974, as well as Instagram at FrankMendoza1974, or you can email SilverScreenersPod at gmail.com. And lastly, it's time for the trivia segment. In each episode, there's a different trivia question that is directly, and sometimes indirectly, related to the movies or the cast and crew involved. You're all invited to take part in it at any time. And if you're a creator, if you write music, design websites, if you're a podcaster, a writer, if you're a puppet, a popper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn, and a king, if you've been up, down, and over, and out, I'm always happy to give your stuff a shout-out. People help people, and that's that. As always, I don't want to take the liberty of announcing both first and last names, which is why I always do first name and last initial. But if you say otherwise, when you send in your answer, then full names it is. You get a shout-out, as well as a movie-related meme sent your way with a personalized greeting. And don't worry about timing, either. It does not matter what episode you're listening to, how far back, or how recent. Answer any trivia question from any episode, at any time. You will get your meme and your shout-out. So last time, Nick and Zan from the Oscars podcast The Gold Standard joined me to honor the 100th anniversary of the silent film classic Nosferatu. And the question was... Who played the lead in Francis Ford Coppola's 1992 film version of Dracula, which featured Gary Oldman as the vampire? And the answer is... The perpetually cool Keanu Reeves. And making up this episode's royal court of silver screeners trivia are the following in no particular order. Stu from the Stu and Al pod, a comedy show I've been listening to for about two years now. Stu and Al are both in England, and they've been friends since they were kids together. They do a lot of listener interaction on their show as well, and when it became apparent that I was a regular listener, they even gave me my own theme tune that they sing every episode. I was flattered. They were on this show about this time last year when the three of us talked about our favorite Coen Brothers films. There's also my buddy Chris from the Movie Psycho Podcast, who's been on this show a few times now. He recently did an episode for his show on Shaun of the Dead, with my co-host of my other show, Movies Across the Pod, Dave, as his guest. Check that one out. And speaking of Dave, he too said Keanu Reeves. In addition to Movies Across the Pod, which is a movie-themed podcast that he and I have been co-hosting together since May, give a listen to his own solo project, I'd give that ten minutes. And we've got Nick, of course, from the Gold Standard Podcast, who is always a pleasure to talk with. Faithful listener Mary C. returns to the winner's circle as well. Great to have you back, Mary. As well as Alicia W., who said that she hadn't heard of this version of Dracula before, so she's going to check it out. And that is one of the biggest compliments that a movie podcaster can get. So cheers, Alicia. Lisa B., a new listener that I had the pleasure of meeting last week when I gave an in-person talk on Alfred Hitchcock at a public library. It is also great to hear from Robbo and Cheeto, co-hosts of the Film Geezers podcast. They're also out in England and were on Silver Screeners a few months back to talk with me about the 40th anniversary of the 1982 Harrison Ford cult classic Blade Runner. I cannot be any more sincere when I say thank you to each and every one of you. You're deeply appreciated. Keep your eyes open for those memes. Thank you for the support, and please keep playing. 
And to anyone kind enough to be listening to this now, why not join in playing the trivia? Nothing to lose and a shout-out and cool meme to gain. And go ahead and begin with this episode's question. Towards the end of It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, Linus and Sally are waiting in the sincere pumpkin patch. Linus hears rustling of leaves and flips his shit, hollering, I hear the Great Pumpkin! Who is it really who slowly rises out of the pumpkin patch as a mean-spirited prank? Was it A. Big Sister Lucy, B. Lucy's fellow mean girl, Violet, or C. Wise-ass Snoopy? Send in your answers, and as always, if you have any follow-up questions or have any comments on anything from today's episode, or any episode that you have listened to, hit me up in my socials. Once again, that's FilmBuff1974 on Twitter, the film group Silver Screen is on Facebook, Frank Mendoza1974 on Instagram, or you can email silverscreenispod at gmail.com. And that brings episode 68 to a close. I want to thank anyone who is listening, has ever listened, or who will in the future be listening for giving your time. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Please feel free to give Silver Screeners a rating on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It does help to boost the show's visibility in these platforms, which only means that more people can discover it. Catch you next time. My name is Frank, wishing you good health, good autumn weather, and good movies. And until next time, keep on screening. And I leave you now with the demonic sounds of the team behind this TV special as they received a richly deserved Emmy nomination for Outstanding Children's Program and went to the CBS executives the following morning. (laughs) Happy Halloween, everybody.